Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, Shabbat Shalom, it is so good, so good to be back, refreshed, refreshed, I feel, I feel like a naughty schoolboy. <laughs> I set fire to the pasture, and I've done that before, and then I left, and I went away, and let it burn, and see what I come back to. My goodness, what a blessed, blessed time. But before we get into the message today, first of all, People have asked me, I can't believe people would even question and ask me such things, what on earth were you thinking of doing when you decided to do a burlesque about Rico Cortez? What were you thinking? Did you just wake up one day and decide to do that? What on earth was going on? So I feel that I do owe you all an explanation of what on earth was going on and why did I do such a thing? Because there has been, apparently, like I said, I left the building, so I've been gone, but I came back and brother caught me at the door. There's been a lot going on. There's been a lot of finger-pointing, a lot of demands, threats, intimidation tactics. And, and by the way, intimidation tactics, they just they don't work on but there seems to have been little concern about charlatans and deceit. You see, there's been all these knee-jerk accusations of mockery that have been rampant. But I have to ask you, in all seriousness, if somebody was to stand before you and present themselves to you as one thing when they're not? Isn't that making a mockery of you? You see, the parody was a response to Rico's death threat video, which was called Sancta which I subsequently posted so that people could see. I mean, it didn't come out of thin air. After this, I'd like to get into the actual teaching today of what's really behind this parody, an exposition of the synagogue of Satan. Because quite honestly, brethren, for too many years, I've been dismayed. I have been dismayed to witness people downplaying Yahusha's blood and the magnitude of what Yahusha did through his high priesthood and his priesthood and aggrandizing their own blood and the Levitical priesthood in its place. That grieves me. That grieves the Ruach HaKodesh that is within me. It truly does. I mean, I understand. I truly understand. People listened. And people got offended. I understand that. But few people heard. Few people heard what was being communicated. 
I mean, I know many people. They want to help the body. But too many people are afraid to hurt the body. It's no different. It's like a doctor that wants to help and heal the body, but he's afraid to draw blood and bring out the scalpel. So yes, I deliberately brought out the scalpel and drew blood. The purpose being that I want to help and to heal the body. A doctor who fails to draw blood and draw the scalper fails abysmally in both parts. He cannot help and he cannot heal. Can we be real? Because you're too afraid to hurt the body. Too afraid to hurt the body. You're not going to be able to help, and you're certainly not going to be able to heal. I choose to help. I choose to heal the body. But I knew I had to be willing to hurt the body first. So I drew blood, yes, with the YouTube burlesque, and today I'm going to bring out the scalpel. Why? In the hopes, in the prayers of cutting out this cancerous growth within the Hebrew roots and messianic movement that has denigrated the priesthood and the blood of Yahusha and in its place elevated men's blood, men's genealogy, and men's ideas of a priesthood. It needs to be cut out. And is that going to hurt some people? Yes, it is. But you can't be afraid to do such things if you have got the greater vision of truly healing the body and helping the body. You see, what's behind this, brethren, is a far, far greater picture. The YouTube burlesque was just the preamble Just the preamble to expose the much greater picture of what's going on behind the scenes in the greater messianic movement today. You see, the whole messianic movement has gone astray. It's gone astray. It started out with something good and holy, seeking the commandments and the feasts and festivals and the narrow ways of Yahweh, knowing that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's how it started out. But then men started to use a rabbinic interpretation of what commandments and Torah were, and now the ship has sailed down the avenues to rabbinic destruction. We have a Karite who doesn't believe that Yahusha is the Messiah teaching who is God. But when I read my scriptures in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, you can't teach me who God is if you deny the Son. You can't teach me who the Father is unless your God is is Satan, and maybe then you can teach me, because I don't know that God. But the Word tells me that you don't have the right to teach me who God is if you deny the Son. You don't know the Father either. So now we bring a Karai out, 
to teach believers in Yahusha about God? Really? This is what's happening. I don't understand it. Where's the discernment? Where's the Ruach grieving you? This is what I find troubling. We have the MJAA, where many of these speakers have gone to speak in the past that makes you sign a genealogical card before you can join their ranks and membership. This is outrageous. And this is acceptable to some. I do want to take Rico Cortez up on his infamous slogan that he's been saying for over a decade. Do not believe anything that I say. Verify everything that I say. And if I am wrong, I will repent. That's Rico's slogan that he's been saying for over a decade. You see, what many of you don't know is that over a decade ago, before Rico got started, my wife and I sat in a tent with him and he explained his whole Pentecostal Christian heritage to us. So things just don't match up with the contradictory genealogical claims that he's now making. You see, a call for verification by the Israeli interior ministry of his purported Jewish, Levite, and Aaronic heritage is now heralded. Will that call be answered? I doubt it. That's the call. It's the Israeli interior ministry, if it's true. You see, you and I can throw a few Benjamins at the local rabbi, and he'll give me a certificate. He'll give you a certificate if you give him a dozen Benjamins that you're a Jew. So that's not going to work. I can throw some money at the internet too, and I can get a genealogical printout that I'm a Jew. So that's not going to work because that's fraud. That's why the Israeli interior ministry is the verify what I say. That's what's being heralded. Will that be taken up like I say? I doubt it. But we need to look at the bigger picture. We truly do. Because this is not about me. And ultimately, it's really not about Rico. It's about something far greater, far greater, far more depraved that's infiltrated our very, very congregations. The kind of thing that the Apostle Paul, the Yochanan, and the prophets spoke of about that would happen in these last days. It is the uprising of the synagogue of Satan and all that it encompasses. So having explained that as a picture, I can now go on to share with you today's teaching. You see, ultimately, the goal of the synagogue of Satan is linked to a phony temple, a phony priesthood, 
and a phony high priest. And we need to look at what is the goal of this synagogue of S.A. Tan. Because the synagogue of S.A. Tan is built upon fraud. It's built upon fraud. It's a five-fold fraud. So now as we get into the teaching, I'm going to be painting with very broad brushstrokes because I trust you with Yahweh in you that you know how to get into your scriptures to see whether these things are so. I trust Yahweh with you that you will not go into sacred history, but you will look into historical truth to see whether these things are so. But today I am going to paint a big picture with very broad brushstrokes so that we can do an expose on the history that has been building and fermenting with the synagogue of S.A. Tan. A five-fold fraud. Number one, history. Will you look at sacred history or the key to knowledge is historical truth. Number two, genealogy. Who is a Jew? The key to knowledge is zirah, seed and migration. Number three, Israel. Who is Israel? Is it the state of Israel or is the key of knowledge Bereshit, Genesis chapter 48, verse 15. And number four, priesthood. Is it a man-made Levitical priesthood? Because we have to understand, whatever Levitical priesthood that is trumped before us in the future... It will not be a biblical Levitical priesthood. We understand that. It's going to be a counterfeit at best, but a satanic deception in reality. So number four is priesthood. And the key to knowledge? Ivrim, Hebrews chapter 7 and 8. The Malkizedek. And finally... The fivefold fraud, the third temple. The key to knowledge is the book of Ezekiel. Isn't millennial, but it is a collection of 13 time date stamped scrolls. This is where the fivefold fraud comes from. You see, in these last days, we have divergent priesthoods, we have divergent people, we have a divergent land, we have a divergent temple, we have a divergent sacrifice, and ultimately, where does all this lead? Tie a string around it, it's going to lead you to a divergent Cohen Huggadol. Who's your daddy? Who's your first love? Tie a string around it. And where does it lead? Where does the teaching of the Malkit lead you to? And where does the teaching of the Levitical 
hierarchy lead you to. Because whatever altar you go to, that is the high priest you will be elevating. And ever since I was 24, this life of mine has been about diminishing myself and elevating Yahusha Hamashiach. That's the clarity of the Ruach HaKodesh that dwells in me. And I believe in his true remnant people. True remnant people. Ephesia, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14. It is written that we should no longer be little kiddies. That was kiddies, not kitties. Meow. We should no longer be little children tossed around and carried away with every wind of teaching by the trickery, by the trickery of men and human cleverness used by those who lie in wait to deceive you. Romeo, Romans chapter 2 verse 28 Romeo, Romans chapter 9, verse 6, and Yochanan, John chapter 1, verse 13, it is written, For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Avraham's children. Notice how the language connects us back to Avraham. Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 is the Malkitzedic inception point. Now we continue on. It is not the natural children who are Yahuwah's children, but it is the children that are connected back to that promise. That is Yahuwah's children, who are regarded as Avraham's offspring. A man is not a Yahudim, a Jew, if he is one inwardly. Excuse me. A man is not a Jew, a Yahudim, if he is one outwardly. Let me repeat that. A man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly. This reflects back to Yahushua's teaching about cleaning the inside of your cup. So you can strap on all the messianic paraphernalia that you want, but that doesn't make you a Jew. If you're really keeping the Torah, my question is, why do you drape your speaking table with a tallit? Why do you wear a tallit? That's not scriptural. You may as well wear a monk's robe and tie seat seat on it. You may as well dress up as a Catholic priest and tie seat seat on it. It's not a biblical garment. Why do you emblazon your congregations with the star of Rafam? Why do you do that? Why do you call Yahuwah Hashem? God. Adonai. If you're keeping the commandments. These things I do not understand. Why do you do the ironic benediction and replace his name with Adonai if you're really keeping the Torah and interested in holiness and commandment keeping? Why? Because the Talmudim of the Talmud do it. But it's not truth. It's not scripture. The Tali is no more Kadosh in a Tibetan robe. 
except you decided to attach some tzitzit to it. But it's not a holy garment. It's the tzitzit that are in the scripture. You see, so all of this makes me wonder, why is it so hard for people to really see what commandment keeping is? Because it's not the natural children who are Yahuwah's children, but it is the children of promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. A man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision, Brit Milah, is Brit Milah Halev, circumcision of the heart. By the Ruach, children born not of natural descent, but you have to be born from above. And then you get the conviction and the guiding during your life. And you won't be deceived by the trickery of men. So my greatest fear is that I think there are a lot of goats that are white and fluffy. And people think they're sheep. There are a lot of people that haven't been converted inside. And they haven't got the guiding principle of the Ruach HaKodesh. There is no discernment. Because I meet people, I've just met this family today that have come from Texas, an Hispanic family, that the moment that they heard the message of the Malkit Zedek, their ear was tipped. Because that's what happens. You either hear it and it's truth, or you fight it tooth and nail all the way to the Anatonia Fortress. All the way. All the way. You see, carnal Israel is born of human descent. It chases genealogy. But eternal, awakened Israel is born of Yahuwah exclusively apart from human descent. Do not give heed to fables and endless genealogies is what Rav Sholiak Shaul said. Rabbi Apostle Paul said to Timothy, don't chase after fables and go online and try and find your genealogy? All right, it's not quite like that, but you understand. I have to make it modern for you. You see, carnal Israel's identity is rooted in the flesh, but awakened Israel's identity is rooted in the inner man, the Ruach, which is the Malkitzedic anointing, the Malkitzedic awakening. But let's go back to the inception point, which is Bereshit, Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. Yahweh swore by no one higher than himself that he would have a Malkitzedic promise to Avraham. But Avraham comes back and he says, how will I know that I will inherit this? I need some kind of covenantal guarantee. So Yahweh tells him to flay open the pieces. But Yahweh, through his kinsman redeemer, redeemer, walks through the pieces. And we have now the inception point of the Malkitzedic covenant. You see, Avraham entered into this land covenant. It is a land covenant. That was the promise. The promise was the land. He entered into this land covenant 430 years prior to the establishment of the Levitical priesthood. Did he not? 
When Avraham offered up his tithe to Melchizedek, it was under the Melchizedek order of priesthood. The land covenant, we have to understand this, the land covenant of Israel was always administered under Melchizedek. It was never administered under Levi. That's why under King David and the Levitical priesthood, greater Israel was never fulfilled, was it? Never. It never will be. You see, the synagogue of S.A. Tan has tried to seize the birthright. That's what they've done. Tried to seize the birthright. The land by force from Joseph. And Joseph wore the high priest tunic of the Malkitzedic of the mixed multitude of nations that would come in under that priesthood, regardless of race, regardless of creed, that you would all come together. There would be no elevation of Jew. There would be no denigration of Gentile. There would be no elevation of man. There would be no denigration of woman. But you would all be one, slave and free, You would all be priests after the order of Melchizedek. Equality for all in Joseph's coat. That is the message that this end time nations need to hear with all the racial tension that is being fermented deliberately by the synagogue of S.A. Tan. Because if they can foment racial tension between peoples, creeds, and colors, then we'll all start to fight against one another, not realizing that we are in slavery to the synagogue of S.A. Tan. It's all smoke and mirrors. Look over here so you don't look over here. We need to come together as Joseph's coat under the Malkitzedic priesthood. So at this point, I'm going to get that big, broad brushstroke out and give you some historical truth. And along the way, we will be setting fire to sacred history. You see, our past, that's history, is our present politics. Can we understand that? Our past, that's history, is our present politics. The history of the synagogue of S.A. Tan. You see, we have to understand that it transmutes its name, but it's always working towards the same end time goal. There's some synonyms for the synagogue of Satan. Bolshevik, the Temple Institute, Zionist, Ashkenazi, Karite, Khazar, the State of Israel. These are all synonyms for the synagogue of S.A. Tan. Now, I don't know if many of you realize, but right here at Torah to the Tribes, we've got a holy remnant of brethren Two of them are right there in the back looking all righteous. That are actual beekeepers. Why are you a beekeeper? Why did both of you decide to get into beekeeping? All right, so he talked you into it. Brother, why do you do beekeeping? Come on. 
You gave me the sowed level reason why you were doing beekeeping. And he told me, he said, it is like, the hive is like the Ark of the Covenant. And you had better be really careful on how you approach it. Now, brother did share with me one time, this has only happened once in his marriage, that he had an argument with his wife and he went to tend the bees. And what happened as you approached not in the right attitude? He was stung on the lips. You see, brothers, we are implementing beekeeping here in the ministry because it is teaching us how to clean the inside of the cup. Truly, being a beekeeper is a very kadosh thing as you approach it through the scripture because you understand scriptural truths. I admonish you, if you have the time and you don't have young children that will get into the bees, take up some beekeeping Talk to info at tribes.com and these brothers will tell you how scripturally it really edifies your life as you approach the bees because you have to approach it like you would the Kedushah, the holiness of Yahweh. You have to be very careful. All that to say this, what on earth is he talking about bees for? Well, because I listen to these brothers. You see, the synagogue of Satan is the queen bee. You see, the synagogue of Satan is the queen bee that exists within a Luciferic colony. We have to understand this. Big, broad strokes, remember. Whilst the synonyms are the worker bees and the drone bees working towards the goal of the colony. So the synagogue of Satan is the queen bee, but the synonyms are the worker bees and drone bees that are working towards the goal of the Luciferic colony. But they don't have all the information that the queen bee has, but they are still within the hive working towards its construction. This is very important that we understand this as we get into the history of the synagogue of Satan. The worker bees and the drone bees are what we are seeing with our eyes, but we don't get to see the queen bee because she's hidden deep within the hive. But, oh yeah, we get to see the terrorist stings of the drone bees. We're seeing that all across Europe with ISIS and ISIL. They're the drone bees. Now, the worker bees, that's Mossad, that's the state of Israel, and that's many other things. But they are actually working with the drone bees together because they have the same goal to build up the Luciferic colony in which the synagogue of Satan dwells. But they don't know and have all the information. So, ISIS and Zionism have common values and identical ideological claims. Religious intolerance, exclusionism, and global expansionism. You see, today we're witnessing Islam working within the colony as the drone bee. You see, ISIS is an operation by the West and Mossad to foment the terror and the discontent that's needed 
to aid in the creation of a nefarious version of the greater Israel or greater Palestine, depending on whether you're a worker bee, you want the greater Israel. But if you're a drone bee, you want the greater Palestine. But ultimately, it's all working towards the Luciferic colony goal, which is the expansion of the land through stinging terror of those that approach the colony's boundaries, the hive. You with me so far? This is broad brushstroke stuff, but you're going to start to see. When somebody spoke to me over a decade ago and they painted that broad brushstroke, there's two houses of Israel, Ephraim and Judah. What a broad brushstroke. But then you start to see it everywhere and you can get into the details. That's what I'm hoping to do today. The synagogue of Satan. they say they are Jews, and the world recognizes them as Jews, even as Israel, but they lie. They lie. Listen to what Scripture says. Giliana, Revelation 2.9 and 3.9. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and I know that I have loved thee. The synagogue of Satan. You see, in 722 before the common era, what happened? The Assyrians were taken captive. The Assyrians, excuse me, came into the land and they took the ten northern tribes captive in about 722 before the common era. Now, Sargon II, he was the king of Assyria from 722 to 705 before the common era. Those living and taken out of the land of Israel by the Assyrians... What happened is that they asked Sargon II for a priest to come back into the land, come back to Bethel. One of the priests that had already been deported, they saw that there was lions in the land and the people were getting scared. So the Assyrian king decided, well, let's bring back one of the exiled priests and bring him back into Bethel to the heights of Israel, to teach the people and settle the people down. But Sargon II didn't realize that this was a corrupt, luciferic priest that had got them deported in the first place because they were worshipping demons. They weren't worshipping Yahuwah. They had built themselves their own altar. They had built themselves their own priesthood up in Tel Dan and Bethel in northern Israel. And the whole priesthood that they had going up at 10 Israel, the 10 northern tribes, was corrupt. It, in fact, was satanic, luciferic worship. But now the Assyrians bring back a priest back into the land. The synagogue of Satan is now in the land again, teaching the people up in northern Israel. This happened in 722 before the common era. 
We've got the priestly synagogue of Satan upon the hilltops of Israel. Now you go forward a couple of hundred years and you go to 538 before the common era. You have the return from Babylonian captivity. Now the Jewish, the southern tribes, are brought back from Babylon where they bring with them the Babylonian Talmud and all of their astral deity worship and stargazing. And they come back. The synagogue of Satan comes back into the land. But there are a holy remnant that's back in the land. But we can see now when we turn to Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 10 that at this time Israel is confronted by the synagogue of Satan. We've got Tobiah an Ammonite, and the men of Samaria, they mocked and opposed who? Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he wanted to rebuild Yahweh's temple, and they mocked and they opposed him because the synagogue of Satan was already in the land. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So now, at the time of 538 before the common era, we've got the synagogue of Satan that are actually trying to halt the construction of the temple. They're already in the land because they had been in the land since the Assyrian captivity because the Assyrians had brought back a corrupt priest of the synagogue of Satan into northern Israel. It's already permeated through Israel. Then we get to 164 before the common era. Antiochus and the Maccabees. We have the takeover of the temple and the subsequent eviction of the true holy priesthood. The Zadokites, they're thrown out. All that they can do is take the temple scrolls down to Qumran and they're evicted down to Qumran and the synagogue of Satan under the Hasmonean and later Herodian dynasty is set up in Jerusalem. But the Qumran community, they're the Zadokites, the true holy priesthood. But the synagogue of Satan has now infiltrated further And now we come to the time of Yahushua, and what does he have to say? You are of your father, Satan. And he was a murderer from the very beginning. He recognizes the infiltration of the synagogue of Satan within Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And then we have all of this fermentation During the time of the Herodians, we get into the latter part of the 60s, 67, 68, 69, and it all culminates in 70 of the common era. It was the Levitical priesthood that we have found out through Josephus. It was the Levitical priesthood under Ananias that set fire to the temple. It was the Levites that set fire and destroyed the temple rather than step aside and allow 20,000 Malkitzedek zealots heralding Yahusha as their king, heralding Yahusha as their high priest, take over. They wouldn't let them take over because these passions had erupted after the death of Yaakov on the temple steps, the temple steps affair. 
Now this is recorded that later on, Titus did everything in his power to quench the flames that the Levites started in the temple. Now we're at 70 of the common era. The Romans come into Jerusalem. And any of you that have seen the Arch of Titus, what does it portray on the Arch of Titus? The Romans sacking and plundering Jerusalem and carrying away the artifacts, right? You see the menorah and the temple artifacts. You see, the fact that 60 years after the destruction of the second temple, there was still a major Jewish presence in the land. How do we know that? Because there was what's called the Bar Kokhba uprising. This proves that there was still a large Jewish presence in the Holy Land because it's a fable that the Romans took the Jews captive. They didn't. They plundered Jerusalem. They took the temple treasures, what was left of them, and they brought prefects in to administer the people in the land. But the Jews stayed in the land, as did the synagogue of Satan in the land. Now we get to 638 of the common era. We have the Islamic conquest of Jerusalem. And what happens as Islam goes into Jerusalem, what they do is they put what's called dhimmi status and what's called the jizya tax upon the infidel. So the Jewish peasants that had stayed in the land, that were attached agriculturally to the land, were then put under dhimmi status. They had to pay a tax to Islam. But they couldn't afford to pay the tax. So they jeopardized losing their olive groves, their vineyards, and their land. So what did they do? They converted to Islam so that they would no longer be under the dhimmi status and they would no longer have to pay the jizya tax. So the Jews that remained in the land, the Yahudim, the poor farmers, converted to Islam in the 7th century so that they could stay in the land, keep their land, keep their olive groves, keep their vineyards, and get out of the dhimmi status. Now we go to the 8th century as we track this synagogue of Satan, and we come to the kingdom of Khazaria. The kingdom of Khazaria. Now, what is Khazaria? They were these Turkic Mongol peoples. One of the major inhabitants of the first Scythian kingdom. They lived near the Black Sea across from the Caucasus. Now, the kingdom was being pressed on both sides. The kingdom of Khazaria was being pressed on one side by Christianity and being pressed on one side by Islam. So they were going to be taken over either by Christianity or Islam. So what did they decide to do? As a whole kingdom, they converted to the neutral religion, Judaism. So now you have this Turkic Mongol people that as a whole kingdom convert to Judaism in the 8th century. 
And how did they convert to Judaism? Through the Luciferic rites of Talmudic Judaism. These were Scythian Khazars. Now, if we go back to Genesis chapter 10, verse 3, we'll find out where these Ashkenazi actually come from. Because Ashkenazis are not Shemites. They are actually descendants of who? Japheth and Gomer and Ashkenaz. Ashkenazi was a descendant of Noah through Japheth and Gomer. They were not descendants of Shem. This is huge. Because many people will say, well, the Ashkenazis are Shemites. You're being anti-Shemitic. But hang on a minute. Ashkenazis aren't descendants of Shem, the son of Noah. They are descendants of Japheth through Gomer. Now you've really crossed the line when you start to look at the scripture. Now we go forward to 1897, the first Zionist Congress in Basel, Switzerland. We have Theodore Herzl and the Ashkenazi, which are the Turkic Mongol people of Khazaria, are now the Ashkenazis that have migrated up from across the Caucasus at the Black Sea, have migrated westward and infiltrated all throughout Europe. All throughout Europe. And by the time we get to 1897, we have the first Zionist Congress in Basel, Switzerland, with the Khazar or Ashkenazi Jews. This is the Talmudic synagogue of Satan that is now about to breach Europe in a way that you have never seen before. But they have to foment a war to do it. So they get together the synagogue of Satan in Basel, Switzerland, 1897, under Theodore Herzl. And then right after 1897, what do you have? 1917. 1917, you have Zionism, Ashkenazi, and Bolshevism killing the Tsars. They go in and they kill the Tsars in Russia. And Leon Trotsky, who is funded by the Ashkenazi Jews on Wall Street and the East Coast, goes over to Russia and they kill the Tsars and they bring down the kingdom of Russia. And in its place, you have what's called the Bolshevik Revolution. This is the synagogue of Satan, and this is in 1917. These are Khazars. These are the sons of Goma. Russia is taken over by an atheistic Bolshevik Ashkenazi synagogue of Satan, and then the USSR is formed under Lenin and Trotsky. 250 million Christians are murdered by atheistic Ashkenazi Jews. Did you hear me? 250 million Christians are murdered by Bolshevik Ashkenazi atheistic Jews. Wow. And now... At 1917, on the back of that, what do we have? World War I. And, of course, the Balflower 
Declaration of 1917. And these all have a common thread. The synagogue of Satan. The Balflower Declaration originated in the war office through the Zionist leaders, Dr. Wiseman and Mr. Soloklo, and it brought President Wilson at the time, the Americans, into the war with the Allies. The fact was, it was the Jews... The Ashkenazi, those who say they are Jews, but are actually Khazars, Talmudic atheists, that brought America into World War I on the side of the Allies, and it rankled the Germans ever since. And who was a signer on the Balflower Declaration? Rothschild. The Rothschild family was a signer on the Balflower Declaration. And what did the Balflower Declaration promise? A state of Israel. The synagogue of Satan has to foment World War I. Has to foment a Bolshevik revolution. Because out of chaos comes a new world order. Then we have the crippling effects of World War I, a thrust on the German population. We have the Versailles Treaty. It was an awful, a grievous treaty that was forced upon the German people. And this was forced upon the German people by the Jewish Bolshevik takeover of Eastern Europe. You see, we have to understand what this Versailles Treaty did. It demoralized and it put an economic stranglehold on Germany. All the meantime, in the meantime, the Ashkenazi Jewish bankers, the Khazars, the synagogue of Satan, that many of them had migrated across from the Caucasus all the way up into Germany. Germany was their stronghold. They had come over and Russia, the Bolsheviks were pressing in and they were fermenting the Ashkenazi that were already inhabitants within Germany. So now what happens if you have the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of mankind? One dollar could buy was worth a trillion marks in 1923. One dollar. If you went over to Berlin in 1923 and you tipped a waiter a dollar, they would go to an investment banker and set up a trust fund with that one dollar. We have the greatest transfer of wealth because it was the synagogue of Satan that was the bankers within Germany. So now the German people, they can't afford to put bread in their mouth. So what do they do? They sell their art. And who are the only people in Germany that's got money? The synagogue of Satan, the Ashkenazi bankers. They buy up the, they buy up the German art by the barrel loads, library loads. The Germans are selling their art 
to the Bolshevik bankers because they've got no food on their table. Then the Bolshevik bankers that own the properties that the Germans are renting or have mortgages on, they foreclose on the Germans, and the Germans are thrown out on the street. They lose their housing, and guess who moves into the Germans' houses? The synagogue of Satan, the Ashkenazi, those who say they are Jews and are not. Do you really think Adolf Hitler came to power in a vacuum? Or do you think what was going on in the world at that time affected his politics? But this is historical truth, and it is very, very unpopular. In 1920s Berlin was worse than San Francisco and Tel Aviv today. It was debauchery. Anything that you wanted, any sexual perversion, any drug, any kind of despicable act that man could do was being done in 1920s Berlin. It was evil. And do you know who was making all of those filthy films? Do you know where Marlene Dietrich, who was at that time infamous for her sexual perversity, do you know who supported all of this perversion propaganda? The synagogue of Satan, funded by the Ashkenazi. This was going on, and 1920s Berlin was a den of iniquity. One dollar was worth a trillion marks. And then we come to March the 24th, 1934. Judea declares war on Germany. Judea declares war on Germany, March 24th, 1934. And how did Judea declare war on Germany? Through economic bankers, just as they are today. The German people, like I said, they were demoralized. They had to sell everything. And you wonder why... When Hitler came to power, he repossessed all of these properties and he repossessed all of this art. You see today in the 21st century all these films about, oh, the Nazis and all of their art. Well, why was Hitler collecting up the art from the Jews? Because they stole it from the Germans when Berlin was in bankruptcy. You see, that's the, the true story. It didn't just happen in a vacuum. But you can't get taught this. This is so politically incorrect. You see, it was the Bolshevik bankers that evicted the Germans, the reapers that took their art. And now we see this fermentation of the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue of Satan, through the Bolshevik Ashkenazi Jews, killed 10 million Ukrainians in what's called the Holdemore Holocaust, the unknown Holocaust. The Ashkenazi Jews killed 10 million Ukrainians. Do you realize that? Do you realize when the Allies, and we can get into that, when Winston Churchill capitulated to the Jewish bankers, the Ashkenazi bankers in the city, that when they bombed Dresden, 
100,000 women and children, unarmed combatants, were incinerated in one night by the Allies. 100,000 civilian population incinerated by, in one night. You want to talk about war crimes? There was no Nuremberg trial for that, was there? You see? You see, Winston Churchill initially exposed the Jewish Bolsheviks in an article he did, I believe it was for the Daily Express in the 1920s. He exposed the Bolsheviks. But later, Winston Churchill's political career was washed up. He ended up as a backbencher. His political career was going nowhere. He could barely afford his country mansion outside of London. He was going nowhere. So guess who put a word in his ear? The city of London, the Ashkenazi bankers. They funded Winston Churchill. They brought him to agitate and to infiltrate the House of Commons. And he began to then foment war, the Second World War. Winston Churchill, unfortunately, sold out to the synagogue of Satan. Then we come to the end of the Second World War. There was a great American general that went over to Germany after at the closing months of the Second World War. His name was General George S. Patton. Do you know what happened to him? He started to speak out publicly when he saw what was going in, going on, excuse me, in Germany at the end of the war. And he came out publicly and he said, we, the Allies, we fought on the wrong side. We fought on the wrong side. Because he could see what the atheistic Bolshevik communists were about to do and what they had been doing. And he understood why the National Socialist Party was trying to push back the westward migration of the Bolsheviks. And General George S. Patton came out publicly and said, we, we fought on the wrong side. We fought on the wrong side. Do you know what they did? They assassinated him. They assassinated him, broke his neck, General George S. Patton, because he came out, broke the silence, and he criticized the Allied war leaders who he discovered were in collusion with the Bolsheviks and the synagogue of Satan. He stated that he believed the Allies had fought on the wrong side, which later, 70 years of Bolshevik atheistic communism, supported that fact, did it not? And then finally we get to 1989 and the fall of the USSR. And what happens with the remaining Bolshevik Jews that are in the former Soviet Union? Where do they go? We have the biggest emigration of the Ashkenazi to the state of Israel. 1989 to 1992. 
you have to understand that 11 million, listen, 11 million German non-combatants were systematically murdered by the Ashkenazi Bolsheviks from 
the creation of the state of Israel. I used to be a Christian Zionist. I truly did. Because I was drinking the same Kool-Aid that many of you were drinking in the Christian church. I love to go on tour and go over to Israel and see. And I believed that that was biblical Israel. I believed all of that stuff that, that, that what is his name? Hagee, what's his name? John Hagee. I believed all of that stuff that John Hagee was saying. It sounded, I wanted to believe that Yahweh created the state of Israel in a day in 1948. I'm a believer. Of course I wanted to believe that. Now put a Hebraic spin on it and I'm totally up for it. But that doesn't make it true. It may pull at your heartstrings, but it doesn't make it true. No matter how Hebraic you make it, it's still the same stuff that John Hagee's pulling. Right? But it's wrong. David Ben-Gurion became the first prime minister of Israel. And he said this. I didn't say this. He said this. I didn't say this. He said this. If I could save all the children of Germany... By bringing them to England and only half to Israel, I would choose the second. What? David Ben-Gurion was willing to sacrifice millions of children on the altar of Zionism to found the state of Israel rather than save them from the National Socialists in Germany. Now, in 1918, we have to understand, but before David Ben-Gurion became the prime minister of Israel, he was an historian. And before Yitzhak Ben-Zavi became the future president of Israel, he was a historian too. And do you know what those guys said? This is again what they said. To argue after the conquest of Jerusalem by Titus and the failure of the Bar Kokhba revolt, Jews altogether ceased to cultivate the land of Israel, is to demonstrate complete ignorance of history and the contemporary literature of Israel. The Jewish farmer, like any farmer, was not easily torn from his soil, which had been watered from the sweat of his brow. Despite the repression and suffering, the rural population remains unchanged. The Fehalin, the farmers, are the descendants of the ancient Jews. Here's the paradigm shift. The ancient Jewish peasants converted to Islam for material reasons to avoid paying the Jahiz tax, and they never left Israel. So at the beginning of the 20th century, all of those Palestinians, all of those Arabs that were in the land before the creation of the state of Israel are the true Shemites, 
the true Yahudim that have been rounded up and put in camp since 1948 that we call Palestinians. What's up is down, what's black is white, and you're all embracing the synagogue of Satan as Palestinian Christians are being persecuted by the synagogue of Satan. It's outrageous. Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 11 confirms that the Jews were not all taken captive out of the land in 70 of the common era. Deuteronomy 15:11 For the poor, the fehalim, the farmers, the migrants shall never cease Never cease out of the land of Israel. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and to your needy in your land. Do you know how many Messianic and Hebrew roots people I see on their Facebook that they are haters of the Palestinians? Absolute haters. Not realizing that there are more people that are coming out of Islam and embracing Yahusha as Messiah than there have been Talmudic, nefarious Ashkenazi Jews that are coming out of Judaism to embrace Yahusha. You see, because many people converted to Islam out of fear, out of fear, being made to do it, but they are covert in their faith. Do you really think that these women want to wear the hajib? Or do you believe that they are doing it out of fear? Look at the pictures of Syria and Lebanese women in the 70s. And look at the picture of Syrian and Lebanese women today. They have been forced to do this. Under pain of death. You see, our world is upside down and topsy-turvy. But what happened to the Israeli narrative was called the Hebron Massacre. You see, after the Hebron Massacre, they had to change the narrative. Because initially, the Prime Minister, David Ben-Gurion, he wanted to integrate all of the Jews, the Fehalim that were in the land, and bring them into the newfound state. All of those Arabs or Palestinians, they wanted to integrate them into Zionism and the state of Israel because they knew that they were the true Shemites that had always been there since the destruction of the temple. But then the Hebron massacre happened and the narrative changed. The narrative changed. Jewish peasantry at that point vanishes from the Jewish Zionist national consciousness And history is now revised to what you have today, that the Fehalim are now just revised to be Arabian immigrants. But the real Shemites, the real Shemites, who are the Jews? Who are the Jews? The real Shemites are the rural farmers found in the land at the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th century. What we could call today the Palestinians, the Palestinian Christians, and many Palestinians that have been forced to convert to Islam. 
by the sword. But who else are the real Shemites? There are other anti-Zionist, non-Ashkenazi, Torah-keeping Jews worldwide that are the true Shemites. Just like the Yemenite Jews and the black African Shemites. And I most probably shouldn't go here, but I will anyway. You see, after the destruction of the temple, yes, many of the Jews, the poor Jews, remained in the land. But there was a migration as well of the more affluent Jews to Yemen and to other parts of Africa. Other parts of Africa. You see, the black African Shemites were actually then taken away in slave ships. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 68. And who were the owners of these slave ships? Who were the biggest slavers in the 16th century? The Ashkenazi were the biggest slavers in the 16th and 17th century. Going into the 18th century. You see, Ashkenazi slaving was huge. This is from, I have to be careful when I say this, so my sources, it's always best to go with Jewish sources, right? Because you just, try, you just trod on a bunch of toes. So we'll go with the Jewish sources. There's a ton of sources out there, but I'll stick with the Jewish ones because that's just safer. The Jewish scholar Jonathan Shorshek says this, Jewish merchants routinely possessed enormous numbers of slaves temporarily before selling them off. If a slave auction fell on a Jewish festival, it was postponed due to lack of buyers and sellers. The Jews of Suriname gave their slave plantations Hebrew names such as Machanaim, Nachamu, and Goshen. Rabbi Herbert Bloom adds that the slave trade was one of the most important Jewish activities. In 1694, Jews owned 9,000 African Shemites. Jewish slaving is in fact confirmed by the Jewish encyclopedia. So in the days that we live, there's nothing more important than this Malkizedic message to the true Shemites. Because this Malkizedic message of the true Shemites is the solution. It is the solution to the Palestinian problem. It is the solution to the Black Lives Matter that is being fermented by the synagogue of Satan. It is the solution to racial tensions, segregation that is all part of the synagogue of Satan's plot for Yahweh's people to fight amongst themselves based upon the color of our skin. That is ridiculous. But that is what they want so that we keep our minds off of them as the true slavers of Yahweh's people. When we all realize who's behind this racial and political fermentation, the synagogue of Satan, and when we join the priesthood together as Joseph's coat, we're victorious then we're victorious over the New World Order slavers, their Luciferic, Levitical perversion. You see, they're obsessed with blood. They're obsessed with their own blood 
And they're obsessed with your blood. But they're not obsessed with Yahusha's blood. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 18. Finishing up here. And Bet Yaakov, the house of Yaakov, Jacob, that's all 12 tribes, they shall be a fire. That means they're the point of the arrow. They shall be a fire. And Bet Yosef, the house of Joseph, Ephraim, they shall be that flame. And Bet Esau, the house of Esau, they're going to be stubble. They're going to be stubble. And they shall kindle them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining in the house of Esau For Yahuwah has spoken it. So what's going to happen? You see, ultimately, we are living in 2016, 2017. We are starting to see all of this fermentation. But Yahuwah's word tells us if we can get our eyes on Yahuwah and off the deception, and we paint with these broad brushstrokes so that you can see what's happening geopolitically that has been fermenting ever since the Assyrian captivity. Yahusha called it out. He called them the synagogue of Satan. He said their father was Satan. You don't get to teach me who's God when you deny the son because you don't know the father. Okay, you don't get to try and trump Yahusha's blood by trying to tell me about your blood. That's pure charlatanism. And because the Ruach is in me, I have the fire to be able to say this. And it is what it is. But I am not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to be threatened. And I'm not going to kowtow down to bullies because you don't like... What happens when historical truth comes forward? Ultimately, Yahuwah will gather out his people. He truly will. Dispersed and converted Jews, Shemites, will come out of the Arabian and African peoples. Then the Islamic insurgency will be extinguished from within. You see, many true Shemites will come to faith and return to their Hebrew roots. And they speak Hebrew. These Arabs. Yeshayahu, Isaiah 19, verse 18. In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt. You know where the Muslim Brotherhood have a stronghold? In the land of Egypt, they will speak the language of Canaan. And swear to Yahuwah Zevoth. One shall be called the city of Zedekar. He's going to go into the Arabian peoples and pull out the true Shemites. And they will say, Yahuwah Sevot. Yahuwah Sevot. And they will speak the Hebrew language. That's what the word tells us. But not if you continue to hate the Palestinians and you don't have your eyes opened. Because you've been blinded by the synagogue of Satan. You are applauding the wrong team. You are applauding. You are going along with the status quo. No different. Yeshayahu, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such have escaped of the house of Jacob. If I hear one more person tell me that the Jews are the remnant, I think I'm going to cry. The remnant is Israel. The remnant is Israel. 
Bereshit, Genesis 48, verse 15. Who has the name, title Israel bestowed upon them? The tribe of Judah? Jacob, Israel, says this. Bless the lads and let my name Israel be upon the house of Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh are the only tribes that have the right to the name Israel. And until Ephraim and Manasseh, the house of Joseph, the Malkitzedic cloak that is a technicolored coat, is entered into the land, that cannot be biblical Israel. It is a Luciferic, satanic counterfeit. Everything there is the counterfeit. First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I was going to use my girly voice, but I don't want to do that. Now, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn. But because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright, what's the birthright? The land. His birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. Yet Judah acted insolently. The Hebrew word there is gabar. Judah acts insolently over his brothers, and from him came a ruler, although the birthright, the land, belongs to Joseph. <clears throat> Melachim Olive, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 30. Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and I will give ten tribes to you, Jeroboam. I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, out of Solomon's hand, and give it to you. Ten tribes are going to be given to Jeroboam. And to his son I will give one tribe, Solomon, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart's desires, and you shall be king over Israel. Who has the right to the name of Israel? The ten northern tribes. That's why the southern tribes, when they were in the land, it was called Judea. It was never called the kingdom of Israel. It was the kingdom of Judah. Because everybody that reads their Torah understands that until you have all 12 tribes under the Malkit Zedek in the land, you don't have the right to call it Israel. You can call it Judah, but you can't call it Israel if you're looking at biblical prophecy. If you want to make a counterfeit, sure, you can do that. But don't look there for prophecy because your prophecy will fail. And has it failed? Oh my goodness, every year prophecy fails based upon a 1948 creation of biblical Israel. Because it's just not the truth. Finally, we turn to Bereshit, Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. Lo yasur shevet mi yechuda u mechochek 
מבין, רגליו אה כי יבוב, שילו ולא יחם עם. The scepter shall not depart from Yehuda, nor a lawgiver from among his descendants, until whom it belongs comes, the obedient people. Those who hold the scepter decide what we should or should not be uniting around. And we should not be uniting around a nefarious Talmudic version of Torah. We should not be uniting around a nefarious Talmudic Levitical priesthood. We should not be uniting around a nefarious Bolshevik Ashkenazi state of Israel. We should unite around Yahusha as Kohen Haggadol. That's what we unite around. You can take unity for unity's sake and stick it somewhere else. You see, the rulership, it departs from Judah and it rests in the leadership of Malkitzedek. Because you are the obedient people that have returned to covenant fidelity. You are now in the book of the new covenant. You are no longer under the book of the law, schoolmaster and tutor, so that you can keep Torah, but it's covenant Torah. And we celebrate the commandments, the teachings and instructions of Yahweh. But I do not believe in a Talmudic interpretation of Torah that has been thrust upon the Hebrew roots and the Messianic movement. I came into this because I had a heart to keep the commandments of Yahweh. But I don't need to be taught what Torah is according to a Talmudic five books of Moses interpretation. Because that is not what Yahweh's teaching and instructions are. His teachings and instructions will always be administered by Yahusha as high priest. His teachings and instructions will always be contained within covenant Torah and then be birthed into the life of the Malkitzedic priesthood as we walk in the Brit Hadashah, which is now that tablets of stone no more, but on the tablets of our heart. You see, the rest of the people, they are going to be, unfortunately, lining up behind the fake Jews, the fake Levites, for the fulfillment of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in our very days. And it's terrifying. So all that to say this. We have to do our due diligence. And do not be intimidated by the religious Torah terrorists out there. Do not be intimidated by the New World Order globalist elite that are into sacred history. But we must go out now and gather that which is dispersed. Which is the lost sheep of the house of Israel, under the Kohen Haggadah, Yehusha HaMashiach, because you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a kingdom, a holy nation of priests, Shemo, Exodus 19.4, after the royal order of Malkitzedek. Amen? Amen. Amen. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Do we have questions, comments at all? Before I lose my voice, give me a couple of weeks off and it's...
I'm going to train that back up again. Yes. Um, yes, <clears throat> the first one. Is, Are you on? I don't think so. It doesn't sound like it. Anyways, I'll go on. There um, you go. Is it possible Matthew could address the so-called five levels of holiness and where they really come from addressed in the video Encroachment by Rico? I can't address any of that because most of that is non-scriptural. Okay. Right. I haven't, I didn't even, I couldn't even get through it. Okay. I'm sorry. I'd rather not look at, at the counterfeit. I'd rather study the true gem. And that's what you learn as a gemologist. Not that I am a gemologist, but I did have a friend who was one. And he would spend much time studying true gems. Because when you study a true gem, when a counterfeit comes your way, you can easily discard it. So I don't look too much into the counterfeit. I pray and look into the true gem, which is... You are a chosen royal priesthood. You are living stones. Yes. Yes, become more progressive and leave the old rags behind. It is truly... We can't forget our first love. We can't forget where we've come from. Many of us, we came and we were raised different ways, but most of you have had some kind of schooling in the Western church. And you can't just throw that all away. You have to take that and then embrace the teachings and instructions of Yahweh as he's called you to that. And yes, you get rid of the paganism, but don't get rid of some of those wonderful things which was the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, ministering to people in, and turn that in for Talmudic rags and Gnosticism. It's not worth the trade-off because... We are taught that Torah is the five books of Moses. Where do you get that from? You get that from 2,000 years of repeated Jewish rhetoric. Ashkenazi rhetoric. But realistically, Yahweh's teaching and instruction is far, far deeply more connected to a covenant. That's what you need to look, where the instructions and his teaching is connected to. Yes, another question. Yeah, I mean, I've really learned that, especially in this function and position I'm in. The Yahweh will take care of your accusers. That you just keep your, you just set your, your, your hand to the plow and you don't look back. You set your hand to the plow and you don't look back. Yahweh will bring in 
what he will bring in. He knows where his people are. He plucks them out. And if somebody's fighting tooth and nail against the message that Yahweh has put on your heart on returning to royalty, Torah keeping, through the Ruach HaKodesh, then they don't get it. And at that point, you just have to release because there are so many people out there. They see this. They see it for what it is. Many of us that have been in the Messianic movement and whatnot for over a decade, we've seen the fruit. We've seen. I've had the private conversations. I know what's going on. I know what's going on. But it was because I was humbled and brought to my knees and everything. And I sat before a congregation of one. And then Yahweh built it up when I finally let go to his people. And got rid of all of my knowledge, got rid of all of that, and brought it back to my first love. But now, I did a full circle. A full circle, but just dropped all of the nonsense. But nonsense on both sides of the aisle. Judaic nonsense, and pagan Constantine nonsense, and it's Ruach and Torah. But you interpret Torah through Scripture, not through the rabbis. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's make sure we, when we have questions that we pass the mic around because there are people online that want to be part of the conversation. Uh, yes, uh, how can there be an abomination of desolation unless the temple is holy? Um, and if it's holy, then is Rico correct? Well, first and foremost, how can it be an abomination of desolation? You can be an abomination of desolation by walking into Walmart and having your eyes gazing on things that you shouldn't be gazing at. You see, we ask to walk in Kedushah, holiness. Geography does not necessarily define whether something is Kedosh, especially when we have the revelation that we are to clean the inside of the cup because that is not the Temple Mount. It's the Anatonia Fortress. The Temple Mount is 900 feet further south down in the city of David. Let's be real. So whatever's up there is on top of an abomination of desolation because there were Roman soldiers practicing homosexual acts with one another in the Anatonia Fortress. And you're going to build a temple of holiness on top of that? It's disgusting. But again, I just stepped on your sacred history. Can I get a throat lozenger or something? The final question, uh, how can the former Israelites that converted to Islam still be considered more Jewish than the people keeping Torah? There are more than just Zionist Jewish people, I believe is what it says. Say that one more time. How can the former Israelites that converted to Islam still be considered more Jewish than the people keeping Torah? Can you pass that to brother? He'll explain that one. It seems like a mixture of uh, uh, they're, they're mixing up the Jewish religion with being Jewish ethnicity. The Jewish ethnicity is the Palestinians. The Jewish religion is the, the falsehood that's in Israel. Ashkenazi, Jude, Talmudic, Judaism exported from Babylon. Right. Well, that was some broad brushstrokes. We were going to get into Yochanan Aleph, 1 John. Um, today, but um, it seemed that there was a fire whilst I was gone, 
So I unplugged all of my devices and I had two weeks off with no electronics, was great. I was so when I came back, <laughs> woo! Sorry, brothers, didn't mean to leave you with that, but I kind of did. We are blessed, though. But it is amazing. You'll start to see, I hope, now, as we've painted those broad brushstrokes for you, and you look and you see what's happening globally, and you'll see ISIS is truly working as part of this big corporate luciferic hive with Mossad, Angela Merkel, Islamic migration, because ultimately ISIS as a drone bee and the synagogue of Satan, the queen bee, and then the worker bees, which are, you know, all of the various synonyms. One of the worker bees is working for what? The greater Israel. But the drone bee is working for the greater Palestine. But ultimately, the queen bee has them working in the same luciferic hive. It's expansionism, globalism, religious intolerance, and enslaving of the rest of mankind. And that's what we see, and I'm afraid that is the generation that you and I have been born into. But I'm so blessed that through the word alone, that we have the eyes to see. And it truly is going to come down to which altar will you go to and who's your high priest? And I will go to an altar outside of the gates up on the Mount of Olives and anticipate Moshiach returning and splitting that mountain in two. And ultimately, that's where we will wait. And the testimony of history is that is where the Talmudim went and were buried up on the Mount of Olives because that is where they went. And Ezekiel tells us that the Ruach Kakodesh departed from the temple because of the abominations and it went eastward to the Mount of Olives. So that's where we go and that's where we wait and we'll look and we'll see those that are deceived with this greatest synagogue of Satan deception which has infiltrated the whole world today that we live in. Amen. Be blessed. And Shabbat Shalom.